Welcome to Transformative Talk. Each episode is hosted by a different graduate student in Dr. Haddad's courses at the University of Texas in San Antonio. Join us today as we explore how educators can use critical social theories to transform themselves and their classrooms. Educators can get real and share real life experiences, near misses, and big little wins. This is Kat Solis. And I'm Aaron Patino. <laughs> and today we're going to talk about multicultural education. Um, so there's a couple of things that I wanted to outline. So first we're going to talk about what is multicultural education and what it's not. Um, and then we're going to talk about um, some of the positive effects of multicultural education and why we need it. And then I will finish up with what makes it so uncomfortable and why teachers are avoiding this topic. Um, and, so I guess and, and, we'll go ahead. And by, yeah, and by the way, yeah, I just wanted to say that uh, we're both teachers. And so because we're both teachers, you know, we've got a lot of different kind of thoughts on it. Um, uh, I teach high school uh, English. And mm -hmm. so some of the things that we're talking about here, you know, they, they, they hit directly home with what I'm doing in my class. Yeah, and I teach first grade and I'm interested of how I can do this on a on a on a six-year-old level but I think they're ready for it they they understand these things and they know what's going on in the world so I'm ready to dive in um, so the first thing we'll talk about is what is it um, so it's a lot of things um, it but it for sure it challenges and it rejects racism and other forms of discrimination and this can include just like a linguistic discrimination this can include homophobia um, and things like that. Um, it also involves critical pedagogy and, you know, learning about your students and caring about them on a, on a more deeper level than just getting them to, you know, pass their standardized test. Um, and then there's a lot of things that it is, but one of the things that it stood out to me was that, um, that it's basic education, that it should be basic. And I, and I thought that that was interesting because if it's basic, then why are we not doing it? Why is it being avoided? And, you know, for me myself, I know that I am not incorporating this into my, into my lessons at all. And so why is that? Right. Yeah. And so, and so on the, on the reading that we had that kind of like guided it, it was by uh, Sonia Nieto and Patty, uh, Patty uh, Bodie called a, in the book called Affirming Diversity. Um, it mentioned quite a few things that, about what multicultural education is. And as I was reading some of it, I was thinking, I was like, well, we don't do that. And mm -hmm. like, we kind of do this, but for the most part, like you said, like we, if it's so basic, why aren't we all doing it? So um, yeah. I think that was kind of eye-opening because I always consider myself to be, you know, kind of multicultural in general, you know, but mm -hmm. then when I was reading the article, I was thinking, oh, it kind of got me to second guess. Maybe I'm not as multicultural as I right. was. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then I know you also talked about how um, multicultural education is pervasive and how it can spread widely and how it should. Um, it should permeate through all of our subjects and it shouldn't be just on one day, it should be every day. Right. And that, and you know, on that part of the reading where we're talking about being pervasive, that was probably the one that really opened my eyes the most because um, I started thinking about it's like, well, you know, why am I, you know, why is my school multicultural? I was like, well, you know, we celebrate, you know, Hispanic Heritage Month and we celebrate um, um, African American History Month. And I was thinking, I was like, whoa, but we, we have to like designate certain times. Like it doesn't happen naturally or holistically. And, mm -hmm. um, and, that, and I think that's part of the problem that we think that because we designate certain things or certain periods to it, that, okay, we're good. We're, we're covered. Check. We got that box. But um, it needs to be a little bit more involved in that. Yes. Um, all right. And then I just wanted to add in there, I put on here that multicultural education is everyone's business. So it needs to be a team effort. Um, it's, it can start with one teacher. It can start with you and then spread it to your team. And then your team spreads it to other teachers and take it to your principal and have them be included. Take it to your counselors. It should be a school-wide thing. And that kind of goes along with how it needs to be pervasive. Um, and then the next thing, what it's not. So multiculturalism is not a cure for underachievement. We can't just snap our fingers one day and it's gone. Um, 
it doesn't eliminate boring curriculum. I mean, I think that falls on the teacher anyway to, you know, kind of vamp it up. Your curriculum should kind of reflect who you are and who your students are. Um, so it's not going to revamp anything. Um, and it doesn't automatically motivate families um, and or teachers or tired teachers. I know this is a hard job, but it's not a fix all for everything. So I think that's important. Um, and then also, it's not just sensitivity training and holding hands and singing kumbaya. It's not that. And it's more than food festivals and things like that. So, um, yes. And I, on a deeper level. and I think that's one of the, that's one of the things that really kind of stuck out to me also is that uh, a lot of schools that, you know, you hear about this all the time, like, oh, you know, we're going to do, we're going to celebrate diversity. Well, how are you going to do that? Oh, we're going to bring in food, you know? So I'm, yeah. We're going to bring in egg rolls and we're going to bring in burritos and we're going to you know, celebrate diversity, which is cool. I love egg rolls. I love burritos. <laughs> Same. But, but I don't think that that's enough. You know, I mean, just, just, yeah. you know, it's it almost like there's a very tourist level, like it's superficial, um, yeah. you know, and, and I, and I think that's, that's one of the things that um, when you were talking about what multiculturalism is not um, a multicultural education, I'm sorry, I get those two terms mixed up. Yeah, for sure. But multicultural education is not just, you know, you know, food drives, you know, those kinds right, of things. Yeah. So, uh, and, I, and I know, I know there are some of my teacher friends that would like really take offense to that because they would say, what do you mean that's not multicultural? And I'm like, well, I mean, it is, but it's got to go farther than, it's got to go deeper than that. Yeah, I kind of feel like that's like a blanket solution, you know, kind of putting like a, a little Band-Aid over like a bullet wound, if you will. Um, it has sure. to go deeper than that, like you said. Like, we need to have, like, that's fine. We can have that. And that brings the people, right? People love food. So that brings the people. But then we need to find some way to have a conversation about it and say, well, how are you, how are you feeling? Like, what do you really think about what's going on? Do you think that this is enough? Or what can we do to add more? Um, and I think that goes with, you know, talking to families and, and kind of getting their perspective on things because I think as teachers we feel like oh we've got this we know it all we know the curriculum we went to college we know what we're doing but in this case I really don't think we know what we're doing <laughs> or at least I don't no no I, I, I agree with you because I think that one of the things that we have to do is we have to recognize that uh, we, we, we got to start off by asking the right questions like we have mm -hmm. to know, we have to know what kind of questions to ask like and, and it's not it begins with things like are we really are we really pushing a multicultural education? And, and some of the questions that kind of come to mind, um, it, it's actually in, in the readings are, here's some questions to kind of consider. And it, and it kind of frames how all teachers, whether you're you know, a new or, or zero to three year teacher, or you're a, a 10 plus year teacher, like you mm -hmm. can be considering some of these questions. And so I just want to kind of like share them from the reading. Okay. Um, so one of the questions says, uh, do all students have access to calculus or physics or any other high status course? Uh, obviously that would be a, a secondary uh, uh, question, but right. you know, do all students have access to it or is it only people like on a certain track within your school? And, mm -hmm. and that question kind of like uh, raises the issue about whether or not your, your, your curriculum or your, your framework is multicultural. And multicultural, mm -hmm. going back to your question from before, multicultural, uh, multicultural education is not just having you know, a couple of stories that were written by minority writers. It's about how you approach the equity that's out there in your school. And if it's not there, then that's something that needs to be dealt with in a multicultural education perspective. Another yes. question that comes up is, um, is the bilingual ESL, special ed, or any other program with low status, is that in the basement? And, and I think that, um, you know, we're in Texas, we probably don't have basements, but, <laughs> but I think it's a kind of a metaphor. Like, you know, is it like lower level? Like, is it kind of like downplayed? Are, are, yeah. are your special programs, you know, are they showcased or are they kind of like pushed in the back room, you know? Yes, for sure. And like, even when I was in high school, I remember, um, I believe it was like the ESL students. They were like in the very dark corner of like the upstairs hallway and they ate their lunch together, like in their own period time. And then we'd see them come out every now and then and, and we're like, who is that? And like, we just, we just didn't know because they were so secluded from us. And it was, and I didn't even think that it was a big deal until like 
yesterday when I was like going over this, like you just, like you just don't realize it. And it's just so crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and, so, and, and so kind of going along with that um, right now, um, we have at the, the school that I'm at, well, right now it's a little different because we're not, we're not 100% face to face, but mm -hmm. when we are not in a pandemic and we are face to face, there is a, the, our campus is split up and one part of our campus is for a, um, like a continuing education for some of our, our life skill children, our life skill students, mm -hmm. the ones that graduated, but, uh, so they're 18 years and plus, but they still have access to some of the, 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 the education rights that continue on, I believe to the 20 or 21. Um, but it, it's, a, it's kind of an interesting situation because, you know, sometimes some of the kids, and like I said, it, they, they are in a life skills, uh, I don't want to say unit, but they're, it's kind of like a life skills unit. Well, mm -hmm. they, they sometimes communicate by yelling and mm -hmm. it's not yelling out of anger. That's how they communicate. And right. sometimes if students, especially younger students, if they're not accustomed to that kind of uh, behavior where it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of off-putting sometimes. And so, uh, uh, so I had a conversation, you know, I teach sophomores. I had a conversation with them. I said, Hey, if you have a, if you see a kid and he's yelling at you, don't take it personally. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, and you know, you might have a kid who, who really wants to talk to you, but he might come at you like with a little bit of a stare and that's, mm -hmm. you know, is, is, you know, it might be normal for him. Um, but it may, it may be uncomfortable for you, but you know, I had to talk with them about that because, you know, they are not, those students are not meant um, to be offensive in any way. Yeah. Sometimes mm -hmm. if there's, if they're not used to it, if other students are not used to it, uh, it, it can maybe be perceived as uh, offensive, but yeah. it, was a it was a conversation to have and uh, it helped out. Some of the kids have appreciated it. So. Yeah, no, it's normalizing things. Um, and I think we have to do that with multicultural education. You know, we have to normalize the conversation. So when kids see someone, they're not like, that's weird. They're like, that's cool. And now I understand you. Yes. So yeah, mm -hmm. awesome. Exactly. Um, and then uh, we have, why do we need it? Um, well, it addresses a lot of areas of conflict that are that are already set in stone and have been set in stone. So things like um, racism, discrimination, inequitable structural conditions in school and society. So like when our children are being forced to learn in buildings that are falling apart, um, have resources that are falling apart. Um, and then of course, another conflict are the language and diversity barriers. So we need multicultural education to, you know, try to get rid of that. And, you know, we can't get rid of it. Um, I actually read an article the other day, and I can't remember the, the author, I think it was in um, our policies class, where it said, um, like, the, the educational gap wouldn't be closed for another 80 years. And I'm like, what? And it's, be and it's because this is so much more than teachers incorporating this into our classrooms. I mean, I think that's a start. But this issue is so much more than that. It's, it's in our society. It's everywhere. So we have to kind of learn how to fix those problems too and then incorporate all of this in the classroom so it's a it's a big job but it's important uh yes and and speaking directly to that point is a uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna read directly from the from the article um that uh, for the for the reading for this week and it says multicultural education is a philosophy it's a way of looking at the world not simply a yeah. program um or a class or a teacher and and i think that that does a really nice job of uh, kind of addressing like maybe why we don't why we're not so good at multicultural education because we're constantly looking for the, the the quick strategy and we're looking yes. for the fix and you know it's kind of like um it's kind of like getting on track like with with healthy eating like you, you, <laughs> yeah. you, you can't stick with a with a with a keto diet for one week and be like bam i'm, I'm ready like i'm yes <laughs> Uh, I can I relate think, to that. <laughs> I think we, I think we all can relate to that. But that the same kind of thing goes to um, where we have to, as as teachers, find ways where we're making progress in addressing the needs of our multicultural kids, and that doesn't mean just with ethnicity. And I think that's yeah. the part 
I think that's the biggest misconception about multicultural education is that mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not just about, oh, well, you know, I'm going to read this speech from Martin Luther King and the kids are going to be fine. Like, you know, yep. it, it's, it's a whole a way of, of not just looking at what we're teaching in the classroom, but it's also talking about how we teach it. And then more importantly, kind of going into, I'm kind of like segueing into the next article, yep. how we are going to assess what the kids have learned in our class. And those are the things that make multicultural education like stand out. Yes, for sure. Um, and then the last thing I have is um, getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. Um, I know that this is a hard topic, but um, teachers really have to get out of their comfort zones for this one. Um, and I know my, myself, I am personally guilty for doing this. I, I honestly hate confrontation and I dread the conversation I'm gonna have with parents when they say, Miss Elise, why did you teach? Why did you talk about this today? Why did you teach this? Um, but I think that it's it's time to just rip the bandaid off. Um, you know, instead of downplaying, you know, our our heroes like Martin Luther King and just saying and just teaching them about that I have a dream speech. Um, you know, the kids deserve to hear what a great man he was and what all the other things he accomplished were. Um, and I don't want to be uh, responsible for sanitizing the curriculum. I want to teach it how it's supposed to be taught. I want to teach the real, like, I want to have real talk with my first graders is what I want to do because, you know, they deserve that. Um, so yeah, we just need I, to get comfortable <laughs> with you know, it. Yeah. And I, and I think what we have to do is we have to find ways where um, you can have those real talks with the kids, um, no matter what grade level you've got. And, mm -hmm. and I think, um, and again, I'm kind of leading into that, the, the next article up a little bit, but the next article kind of really does focus on some ways where uh, they're, they're very realistic ways that you can actually start making your classroom a little bit more multicultural. And mm -hmm. so that you can have those conversations, whether you teach the first graders or 11th graders, you'll be able to use the same kind of approaches, different topics, of course, but you can have those kind of conversations with them. So um, I'm excited to, to get to talking about some of those different ways and kind of like bring in some of our examples here. But um, for right now, I think we're going to go and head into our break. So we will be back um, afterwards to talk about Christine Clark's article, Effective Multicultural Curriculum Transformation Across Disciplines. Hey. All right, welcome back to this week's transformative talk. My name is Aaron Patino. And I'm Kat Solis. And we're continuing our talk on multicultural education. Um, for this part of the, of the talk, we're actually going to focus on an article by Christine Clark, where she has given us teachers quite a lot to think about. And she's basically broken up some strategies for how to make our content more multicultural. But then she also gave us some things to consider as far as our classroom practices, what we're doing in there, how to make our practices more multicultural. And then she finishes up also by how to make our assessments more multicultural. So basically there's a, there's a, a three prong approach to how teachers can make their classrooms more multicultural as far as their education goes, which, which I really appreciate. I, I, I personally, I like it when um, when I'm giving different types of approaches to solve a major problem. Uh, because having a classroom that is not multicultural uh, is a problem. And, and there's not one simple, easy way to fix it. So you need a lot of different ways to do it, especially different ones that, that speak to their strengths a little bit. So, yes. Um, and so and this kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about how um, we, as teachers, Sometimes don't know where to begin, and so for I, sure. <laughs> yeah. So what I appreciate about this article, and I don't know about you, uh, but what I appreciate about it is like, okay, so I saw these these parameters that she was talking about on how to like adjust our content, and, uh, and I thought, wow, well, I I can do this, or I can do that one, or this one might be kind of hard to do. So mm -hmm. having some things like that was uh, was really helpful. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out a couple of the uh, examples of ways to transform our content and one of the things she, she listed seven parameters and I'm not gonna list them all off I'm gonna focus on the top three that I felt like okay this is really doable um, and, the, and the first one 
that I noticed was that if you were going to adjust your content in your room, classroom, then you might start to include more about the histories of oppression that are occurring. And mm -hmm. so I know, uh, Kat, that you teach um, uh, first grade. So yes. it might be kind of hard to talk about like the Holocaust, but what are some like oppression type topics that you might be able to bring up uh, in your class? Or is that even doable at first grade? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think so. Um, like I said earlier, my kids are very aware of, you know, racism within our world, the inequality within our world. Um, and so I think, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is obviously MLK Day um, talks about, you know, Rosa Parks and everything like that. I think that would be an easy segue um, to at least get started. Um, and so I would definitely start there and not just put like a blanket statement of, oh, he had lots of dreams and he was a great man, but, but why did he have a dream? Why, what was the purpose behind his speech? What was he fighting for? You know, who was he fighting for? Was he fighting for himself? Was he fighting for you, for his family? Um, what was the purpose? So I think diving deeper into those conversations instead of just, you know, playing them a clip of the video and then calling it a day, you know? Right, right. yeah, no, absolutely. I think that, um, I, I like that idea because um, unfortunately, I think what we're seeing is that, you know, like the talk about, Mar the talks about the Martin Luther King speech, that's like become the be all end all and that's all that we do. So yeah. if, you're starting, if you're starting that conversation at first and second grade, by the time they go to fourth and fifth grade, they should be able to tackle some other people besides yes. Martin Luther King. And, so, mm -hmm. and there's no shortage of, of yes. people that we can kind of refer to, but eventually we get to some of the more, um, I don't want to say like disturbing, but some of the more graphic things, you know, like with the Holocaust at the yes. school level. And, uh, and, and one of the things, you know, I know that, um, you know, my students have told me like, sir, we're reading another book about the Holocaust. And then mm -hmm. can we read about like other people that have been oppressed? And I'm like, well, you should, you know, I mean, yeah. If the, mm -hmm. kids, if the kids are talking about it, like, I, I don't see why um, we wouldn't be able to, especially at the upper grade levels, you know, talk yes, about for sure. some of the problems like that we like here in Texas, like some of the, the, the unspoken you know, brown lynchings that have been occurring mm -hmm. at the time, you know, and, you know, and, and that goes also back to what you were saying about having like those uncomfortable like conversations. Obviously, I'm not, I'm not saying that you should talk about brown lynchings to first graders. <laughs> But, but, I might know, get a phone call or two on that one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But but I think that just the fact that you know you're starting off with you know something that's kind of easier to understand and digest, and by yes. the they move on, they're able to handle some more of those those uh, those tougher topics. Yeah, and I think also just to add it in there, I think reflection at at any age they can reflect. You can give them something to think about and ask them, how does this make you feel? Or better yet, go home, ask your parents, how does this make them feel? And you guys can have a conversation and we can bring it back tomorrow and talk about it again. So yes. I think that's important too. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the idea of getting uh, the narratives from the family involved. As an, as an English teacher, you know, I love that elementary school teachers are, are like tapping into that because that is so powerful. Um, yes. Uh, just having a conversation, you know, I, I like to every once in a while, you know, make a homework assignment. Like, you know, what, what, what do we have for homework? I'm like, well, you talk to your grandma about what? Like, ah, ask her if she ever had any experience, any racism and, and, and tell me about it. And, yeah. you know, it, it, of course, grandparents love talking about those kind of things. Yes. Uh, not, not, not the topic necessarily. It's not what I'm saying. But like, you know, the fact is they have their, 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 their grandkids are growing up and they're becoming mm -hmm socially aware and just that social awareness that the kids start to blossom into uh it really speaks to the the generation gap and it kind of closes up a little bit yeah for sure so i, I think that i think that talking about oppression um uh, appropriately of course is, is something yes. that i think that it's very manageable within mm -hmm. our curriculum you know yes. i think that some people feel like oh well i've got a canned curriculum and i can't really do anything and to me <laughs> it's kind of like a cop-out because yes. um yeah you you are given a curriculum but nobody ever says that that's the only thing that you have to teach yes uh, you know because then we start talking about the the hidden curriculum and mm -hmm. I, think, 
I think the histories of oppression definitely talk come into play um, when you start considering the, the the hidden curriculum that's out there. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so there, so um, another parameter that came up was, uh, and it's easy. Again, some of these some of these parameters I think are are custom made for people like me that teach like English language arts. Uh, mm -hmm. But one of the recommendations that Clark has is that you also need to start including uh, more contributions in some of the works from some of the people that are not considered like the mainstream of the canon, the academic canon. Mm -hmm. uh, and and that's, uh, again, that's easier for, self-admittedly, that's easier for an English teacher to do than maybe, let's say, a math teacher or a science teacher. But mm -hmm. I, I still feel like it's, it's possible. Um, do you all... Uh, at elementary, do y'all work on getting um, the word out on, let's say, like, um, like women scientists, or uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to break the habit of saying uh, female scientists. Uh, mm -hmm. in, in Dr. Haddad's class, we were talking about you know the the word female, and I'm trying to use I'm trying to use women more. Uh, female sounds a little bit too clinical. I know it's correct, but yeah. it, it kind of feels like almost like clinical and almost like, I don't want to say dehumanizing, but right. But women scientists, um, yeah. do, do y'all study those or, or how does that look like? What does that look like in first grade? So, um, no, I mean, I wish we did. I mean, when I read this, I was like, oh, you know, underrepresented and we need to find like, reach out to parents and ask them to come and talk to our kids about some of these things and their experiences. Um, but no, we kind of just keep it pretty basic, honestly. Um, like last week we talked about what is a scientist, but we didn't talk about these scientists. We just said, what is it? What do they do? Um, but that would have been something nice to throw in there. And then um, just getting parents to come in. I mean, I don't know, maybe I have a, a parent who is a scientist or I don't know, has a a background and something interesting like that, it would give the kids a different perspective. Like, oh, well, if she did it, then I can do it. Or if he did it and he's this culture, then I could do that too, you know, kind of thing. Yes, yes. And and, and I think that um, um, just the fact that, you know, we're, we're reading these these uh, suggestions and we're, and we're starting to have that like inner dialogue, like, okay, well, in my classroom, what could I do differently, you know? Because I, I think that uh, in talking to you, like we, we and, and myself included, like we want to do better, but mm -hmm. not really sure how. But yeah. in, including the the underrepresented is really, I think probably one of the easiest things that we could do. Um, yes. And uh, and just yesterday, um, I was kind of, uh, well, I wasn't kind of, I was, I was uh, floored by the the news about um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and right. um, and so I think that you know there's probably a lot of reflection that can go into, you know, her her accomplishments in the classrooms. And uh, For sure. uh, I, I would have to, I would probably have to ask uh, Erin, who uh, is in our, she teaches uh, history in our, in our, in our class. I probably have to ask her, you know, how she would, you know, bring up the topic, even though it may not fit in her curriculum timeline. I know, right. that, I know that she could find a way to connect it. And so, you know, I, I want to, I want to like do something that's you know not just a, a trending topic. I want to make something that, that fits sense and uh, it, it makes sense, but yet still fits in with what I need to accomplish. And uh, yes. and so so talking about the contribution, the works of underrepresented, I think is really a, 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 an important parameter. Again, it's one of the ones that like as far as difficulty levels go, it probably it doesn't seem like it's that hard to include the contribution. Uh -huh. Like I think. And um. Even just like on a first grade level, we do a lot of read alouds. So um, having the, those people be represented within like the read alouds that we read and making sure that the cultures are being represented, um, that's like a simple um, incorporation right there. And then you can have the kids talk about it and, and like, what does this mean to you? Did you know that this was out there um, kind of thing? Did you know about this culture? Um, did you know about this group of people? Um, I think that's an easy way to kind of incorporate it. Um, not that this should be easy, but I think for first graders, we kind of need to like step into it slowly. <laughs> well, I think, yeah. And, and I think they need practice at, at yeah. kinds of things, you know, and, you know, if, if, if 
first grade teachers and first grade students are getting more uh, familiar with having these kind of like voices, these stories of the voices of the underrepresented, then it just kind of like feels more natural the older they get. And they're yes. really these more complex issues. Um, mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the parameters that I felt probably a little bit difficult to uh, put across the board at all age levels is the parameter where you're, you're really trying to include more agency and social action into the content. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's kind of difficult. Um, um, not impossible, but it's kind of difficult. Um, this is, I, I would imagine, um, in, my, in, my, in my class, some of my, my students, they were, they were angered by a decision uh, that our school district had um, to, to remove um, a beloved principal. And they said, what can we do? You know, we're, we're just kids. What can we do? And I said, well, there's a school board meeting coming up next month. You know, um, you, can, you can write to them right now and see if you can get onto the public panel part of the meeting. And they're like, you can't just show up. I was like, no, you just can't show up. Like, there's a process for it. And they're like, well, what's that process? And so I was kind of telling them, you know, you know but, you know, I work in the district. I don't want to, I don't want to piss too many people off. But, yeah. like, but there, there is a there is a process for for getting yourself on the school board's agenda. You can't just show up like a you know like with a sign and say you know you know, hear me out like yeah it's, it's got to be something that's got a little bit more planned. But yes, uh, but just the fact that they felt um, moved enough to try to take some kind of action, I thought yeah. you know I need to be more prepared to redirect them. You know, in a way that, 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 okay, so if there's this need to speak out, um, you know, how, how can I help them? I'm not going to tell them what to say, you know, uh, you know, well, you, you can try to tell teenagers what to say, but you know, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're going to do it their own way anyway. But just the fact that, you know, it was kind of eye-opening and maybe, you know, that needs to be something like, you know, how, maybe that could be a lesson, you know, how do you get a hold of your school board, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That, that those are the kind of actions, and, and I think those kind of things can start, you know, like, you know, elementary school, maybe, you know, fourth or fifth grade, you know, those kind of things. But even- well, I mean, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, um, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, no, I was gonna say, yeah, I mean, even my, my kids, lower level elementary students, they have opinions, and if you, you know, tell them a problem that the school is having, or you say, um, if you give them like a social prop, like if you read a social story and you say, how would you fix this? Like say it's a story about bullying or something like that. They have solutions for it. And I think that's a really great way to have them put it into action. Okay, what would you do to solve it? All right, let's, you know, let's, let's actually do it. Let's take it to our principal. Let's see what she thinks about this. And maybe we can incorporate it school wide. So yeah, and, and it just shows that kids do care because I hear a lot of teachers saying these kids don't care you can tell them all day till they're blue in the face and they don't care they do care you just have to speak to them in the correct way about it and you have to make it about something that means something to them yeah and I think that's that is what multicultural education is you have you find a way to make it mean something to them so they know that okay this there's there's something bigger to this lesson we're doing. It's not just a worksheet or it's not yeah. just a grade, you know? There's something, there's something more to it. Um, the article then goes on to explain a little bit more, uh, actually nine parameters for revising classroom practice. And uh, really, honestly, this, these nine parameters, this should be um, like professional development, new teacher orientation, like straight up. This is what- Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I really, really found this part the best part of that article. Um, and so there, there were, uh, I, I kind of went through it and I picked out like, okay, well, here's a, here's like an easy, uh, revision to practice the classroom practice we make. Here's a medium one. Here's a hard one. So okay. the easy ones I thought, I thought were like organizational tools mm -hmm. uh, for, for me at the high school level. It's, uh, well, now it's about just keeping your Google drive clean. You know, I mean, like yes. right now, like if, if I, if I go to a kid, and I said, hey, can you share your screen with me? Because we you know we're doing virtual. Share your screen. Uh -huh. And they're like, yeah, okay, okay. And they share it. And I'm like, is that your Google Drive? And they're like, yeah. I was like, what is wrong with it? Like, <laughs> like no. I, like, I need that lesson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I see these. They're like, sir, I can't find my, 
I can't find my document. I can't find this. I can't find that. And I was like, because every single document is your first and last name. That's, you know, like, oh my gosh. So yeah. I was like, you, you've got to develop a system for that, you know, but, but those are things that are kind of easy that we can do. Um, um, yeah. Um, I know that uh, at first grade, it might look a little bit different. So what's mm -hmm. the organizational tip that you wish your kids had at first grade? Uh, so like the first week of school, I was like, show me your like desk area. And I'm putting like quotes, quotation marks over desk area. Like show me where you're doing your work. And so they were like taking their computers and they were showing me and I'm like, ah, okay. Well, let me show you what Miss Elise's desk looks like. And it's like, it's important to have a place, a place for your things. So like find a place, a home for your pencils and find a home for your writing. So we have like our writing folders and I was like, here's your math journal. Let's write math journal. We can decorate it. Um, and then put everything there. So when you wake up in the morning, all of the things that you're going to need for school are right in front of you. I was like, the night before, you know, you're going to want some water. So get some water ready. Um, you know, you get cold, so get your blanket. I don't care as long as you're not sleeping in your bed, things like that. So it's just very, they needed a visual. So I showed them kind of like what was going on in my area. And then um, they're like so excited. Miss Elise, look, I, I organized my desk and now it looks like yours and it's pretty. And I was like, see, it feels better because we cannot live in chaos. And then we had a conversation about what chaos is. And so it was really cute. It was a really nice lesson to have. That's but yeah, great. just That's little great. things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, organizing your space, you know, like whether it's like in person, your rooms, your digital spaces, you know. I yes. like that. I'm going to start, start telling my students, I'm gonna be like, you need to have a home for your like annotated bibliographies. Like, yes. And then I'm like, and if it doesn't have a home, it goes in the trash. <laughs> They're like, okay, yes, mom. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, good, good, good. Um, uh, another one that was, a, 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 I consider to be like a medium level and, and understand uh, the easy, medium and difficult. Those are not, those, those are not labels that came from the article. I kind of like put them on there. Um, right. But, but a medium one to do is like an assessment of student needs. So like whenever mm -hmm over to like a new uh, unit um, I always like to do I don't call it the same thing all the time but I like to do a KWL um, mm -hmm. so where, where the kids talk about what they know with the K um, what they want to know about it about the topic and then after the unit as a reflection the L what did you learn about that the KWL and so I usually do that in a journal whenever we have a, a topic that's coming up um, the the part that makes that uh, the reason it's medium is that because that learned part, a lot of times you, you rush, 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 and then stuff happens, and then you get to the end of the unit, and then you're like, okay, next unit, and you forgot mm -hmm. that learned part. Uh, yes. Which is so uh, critical, because if you don't remind kids what they learned, then when they go home and they're like, oh, you know, mijo, what did you, you know, what, what did you learn in school today? They're like, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I played recess like, or I ate lunch. <laughs> I'm like, you're, you're killing me, Smalls. You can't, you can't do that. You can't do So, so they, they need practice to like, they have to be reminded like, Hey, you did learn, you know, a bunch of things. Uh, yes. So. Uh, um, uh, like I know for um, elementary, we do like an, I can statement. So like at the end or at the beginning of every lesson, we have an, I can statement. And it's basically like the goal that we want them to accomplish at the end of the lesson. So we're like, I can list what a scientist is or all the tools that a scientist uses kind of things like that and they go deeper than that but that was just like off the top of my head but yeah, yeah. um it kind of just reminds them of what our goal is and then at the end of the day we can say well did we accomplish our i can statement and if not what do we need to do tomorrow to make sure that we understand this um so that's something that we do for that and it just kind of consistently reminds them that oh this is my goal and this is what i need to be looking out for throughout the lesson yeah uh there, there what you were saying there reminded me of my my daughter um when she was in elementary school um her teacher would role play like while they were waiting for the bus and they mm -hmm. would play and they were like so like she would give them a ruler she'd give one of the kids a ruler and they would go out and they would say okay you know you know scarlet what did you learn what did you learn today and and then she had to pretend like you know what it was and oh. it was smart because she did it right before the bus so like it's the kids were playing that game, they got on the bus and they got home and one of the first things they probably heard was like, what did you do in school today? And then mm -hmm. they, they, they have an answer like ready to go. You know, yes. I love that. Yes, for sure. Uh, um, another, uh, and, and another parameter 
uh, recommendation that was given that I felt was kind of difficult, but it's definitely something that we should strive for is a problem posing dialogue. Um, mm -hmm. Is this hard because um, in order to come up with a, a, a dialogue about a problem, then the kids have to be able to think of solutions. And so right. like coaching, like this is not something you can say, okay, week one, we're gonna have problem posing dialogue about recess times like no like it's you're gonna give yourself a migraine you know by yeah <laughs> um so i think i think that the 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 problem posing dialogue is really important um i happen to work in a school where we are um project-based learning and so mm -hmm. the finding problems and posing solutions to them is is that's kind of our thing right now and um and that's a different mindset because normally we don't do problem posing dialogue until we have projects like um, like science fair projects or something, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah, but but now at, at my school, it's kind of an everyday thing, uh, or at least every unit thing. Right. And so the the article mentioned one for six and seven year olds, where they were talking about the election. They were studying the election, and uh -huh. the the story according to the article was that since the kids knew that they wanted to get involved, they were getting excited about you know they did a mock election in school, they did this, they did that they were kind of bummed out that they weren't able to actually participate in an election, but the teacher found a way to take that enthusiasm and actually turned into a voter registration drive. And they made people in their families like register to vote. And they, uh, I want to say it was like 38 students in there. I, I believe. Uh -huh. I think, yeah, 37, I think yeah, yeah, new registered yeah. voters. Yeah. That's awesome. And so I was thinking, I was like, well, that, I mean, if they could do that with like six and seven year olds, then I can do some things with 16 and 17 year olds. Like, yeah. There's no excuse, you know? So, For sure, uh, yeah. Um, I kind of just, I just like have like a brain, like, I don't know, like a thought come to my mind. Like, um, so like last year, I remember teaching about elections and, and what um, like a ballot is and all of that. And we actually had like a classroom election and that was fun. But I feel like around election time, like my students could like record a video or something encouraging their parents to get out and vote. And we could put it up on like the school's website or something like that. Or I could just post it in like our seesaw forum. Um, yeah. So that idea just kind of popped in my head. I think that would be really cool because we need to increase the votes and things like yeah. that. We need to let people know that their voice matters. And I think if they hear it from their kids, like if they hear it from my little baby six-year-olds, they're gonna be like, "Hey, okay, I need to get out there," you yeah, know? Yeah, I, I could, I could see you doing that. Like maybe with like Flipgrid, where it's like just real quick, like you know, sixty seconds, you know? Yes. I think for sure there's something cool there. Yeah. Uh, um, let's see. Uh, let's uh, kind of. All right, there was one thing that I wanted to uh, point out, but uh, uh, where the article was talking about group work, where the the students were given like the same, you know. Um, um, grade for the work that they were doing. Uh, you know, I don't have a problem with that, but I think that some of my parents in my district probably would have a problem with that. So mm -hmm. if I were to do something like that to where like the grade is equitable and we're using that push, that peer pressure push, and peer pressure is definitely a, a different way to go about getting grades, but, um, and to get that, to push the accomplishment. But I think that they're, there were some things in there that obviously the article, their suggestions, they're, they're, they may not be like like plug and play, ready to go like tomorrow. Yeah. You can't yeah. just, you know, page 47, I'm going to do this one. Uh, mm -hmm. You have to reflect about how these would fit in with your actual setting. But right. nonetheless, these nine parameters, uh, like I said, I, I would, I mean, these, these could, each one of these could be like its own little professional development unit for new teacher orientation and um, for sure if anybody wants to do that or, or 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 tackle that I would be all ears on that so yeah that sounds awesome um, um, I think even in my little reflection video for Flipgrid I I was like it's a lot but I think if like one piece were to happen at a time I think it's manageable um, yeah so yeah I'm kind of excited I'm like let's go <laughs> um, yeah, and so the, the, the last part uh, of, our, of our conversation today about multicultural education, we wanted to look to see what some of the other, our, our classmates, what they were thinking about the readings that we were talking about here. And so, um, you know, of course, we don't have time to go into every single uh, person's responses, which they were great, by the way. Thank you, guys. Uh, you get yes. to talk about. 
Um, but I, we did we did pick out three that we wanted to go at. Um, so I don't know, Kat, if you want to talk about the first one, and then I'll take the second one, and we'll go from there. Sure. Okay. So um, I was looking at the lovely Samantha's. Um, I just feel really inspired by her all the time in class. She always has really great things to say. And so um, I pulled up her um, dialogic journal, and this is one of the quotes that she shared, and then I'll kind of just talk about her reflection on it. Um, so she chose multicultural education with a social justice perspective also means learning to question power structures and the status quo. Students learn that they have power collectively and individually to make change happen. So I thought that was really awesome. Um, I think this kind of tied back to um, the article on multicultural education and getting comfortable with the uncomfortable, um, how we need to learn to, you know, question the powers that be, because obviously something's not adding up and um, things are happening and they shouldn't be happening. Um, and so her reflection, she says, um, this is one of the most important takeaways. She says, everyone always says that children are our future. However, we have to create educational systems that empower them. And that means including and empowering all students. Um, she says, real change can only happen when students feel as though they are valued and important and multicultural education systems can make that a reality. So I thought that was really nice. Um, yes, I, we just I, I, we push I, forward. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree um, that, uh, you know, and it, it, it kind of reminds me of the, the phrase that I've been hearing since, since, uh, since I started grad school, and that was, to disrupt or disturb the status quo, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, if that's not if that's not a T-shirt already, I need to make one. Because <laughs> yes. I, I definitely want it. But I think the kids need um, the the kids are the kids need practice at speaking up about things that aren't fair. Um, mm -hmm. Because you know they, they have the frustrations, and a lot of the frustrations are are are, are deserved. But they need to have they need help with uh, being effective with them. So yes. definitely, definitely uh, making them feel like valued with their, their beliefs and their frustration is really important. Cool. And it, and it kind of also goes with, um, in the article, um, in the Nieto article, it was saying that we need to teach our kids these skills to defend against racism and to speak up against it and that it should be a part of our curriculum. So um, I think that ties together pretty nicely. Yeah, and, and uh, that kind of like leads perfectly into another quote that I found from Aaron. Um, who uh, uh, she teaches uh, history and social studies um, in high school. She was talking about the canon and, and the article had the word canon in, in quotes, right? And so mm -hmm. she talked about um, how uh, the transformation uh, going towards multicultural education kind of um, questions what the canon is. And so she wrote, having a multicultural curriculum enables students of traditionally underrepresented groups to feel their perspectives are included and helps to connect them. Oftentimes, I've noticed minority students feeling a little disconnected with US history class, but then they perk up when non-white male perspectives are discussed. Uh, and, and I think that um, speaking from, you know, th these words carry a lot of weight because, um, you know, she's coming from a history class where, you know, she has the standards that she has to teach, you know? Uh, they have mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I've spoken with Aaron before, and she does a great job of bringing up the hit curriculum, but you know, just the fact that you're, you're cognizant as a teacher of how the students, their eyes open up, they, they sit a little bit straighter when yes. you talk about the minority voices. Um, you know, those are, those are things that are, you know, they're, they're undeniable. And mm -hmm. if, you, if you open yourself up as a teacher to talk about these things, um, I, I think that that connection to the kids um, is valuable. So you, you can't, you can't go wrong with that. If anybody doubts whether or not multicultural education is worth it, you know, they need to, they need to ask a, a U.S. history teacher, like, what's it like when they discover the, or, or when, they, when they explain the, the underrepresented voices? Yes. And it just kind of motivates them, too. I mean, kids need to be represented in their curriculum, and they need to know that they are not alone in their struggle. So I think when we don't teach it, they're kind of just left out there wondering, well, do I matter? Like, does my story matter? And yes, it does. So yeah, yes. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And then um, I have another one from Gabriella. 
Um, she's talking about discrimination. Um, so I'll read the quote. So she says, although, or the quote says, although not everyone is directly guilty of discrimination, we are all responsible for combating it. Um, and I totally agree with this. Um, her response was, if you are not fighting to end racism, then you are a part of the problem. And um, I think we can all be a little honest with ourselves, and, or at least I can, and I can say that I haven't done anything to combat this problem. And, you know, I myself am Hispanic. My daughters are Hispanic, and they're actually, um, they're, they're a mix. They're Hispanic, they're white, and they're a quarter um, African-American. And so as a mother of mixed children, I should be out there, you know, standing up for my girls and their future, and not only for my girls, for myself, for my students. Um, and so, yeah, I don't want to be a part of the problem anymore. Yeah, and and uh, I, I agree with you. The uh, the with with a lot of the protests that are happening, like with professional athletes, um, one of the one of the talking points that I that I've heard, and I think it was Jalen Rose, who I normally don't like, Jalen Rose, but anyway, that's another story. That's that's another podcast. <laughs> but, but he said something that really really stuck out to me, um, and he said that it, we're living in a time where this is paraphrasing. We're living in a time where it's it's no longer enough to not be racist, that we mm -hmm. all become anti-racist. And, yes. and, and when he said that, I was like, all right, mm -hmm. <laughs> not so bad. Um, yeah. but, but, but when, when, uh, when, when you were reading that part, that, that quote from, from um, Gabby, I thought, man, that's, that, that's true. Uh, and, and we need to hear more things like that. We need to, we need to um, not just settle like, well, you know, I'm setting a good example and, and, I, and I'm good enough and wipe your hands of it. Like, right. It's not enough anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then also like me being Hispanic, I've, I've overcome like so many obstacles, like, hello, I'm a full-time teacher, full-time mom, and I'm getting my master's. And sometimes I kind of just blow that off. Like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then, you know, my dad, he reminds me like, he's like, cat, if, you know, you know things are hard and if it was easy everyone would be doing it and you need to be celebrating that and you need to be teaching your kids and your students that they can do it and if it's if it's worth it then it's going to be hard but they need to do it and so I think being a woman of you know my culture I think it's important for my kids to know that it's possible and they can do it too yeah you show them you show them how to how to clean make make homes for their spaces and <laughs> And you, and you teach them how to like go to school and like not settle. Like that's, that's, yes. awesome. that's yeah. Awesome. Um, <laughs> We're having life lessons here with Miss Elise. <laughs> that's right. Right. Tune in. Yeah, that's going to be a separate podcast. We got Right. Yes. We got Stay tuned one, for that. Dr. Haddad, like you, you just started something here. So like, Oh yeah. All right. All right. All right. Um, well, um, that's all for our, uh, this episode. Thank you for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you discovered our show. Um, that's all for now, but we'll see you in the next episode of Transformative Talk. Bye. Bye.